Welcome to the Jean Hales podcast, Women's Health Week series, where we talk about all the things you want to hear but can never ask. Here's your host, Janet Mishelmore. The fact is, I'm a terrible sleeper, so I have a vested interest in talking to today's guest. Maura Junger is one of Australia's leading health psychologists who specialises in sleep. Her views on sleep and insomnia are some of the most practical, empathetic and enlightening I've ever heard. This conversation really helped to ease my own anxieties around sleeping poorly. I hope it helps all the other night owls out there. Here's my interview with Maura Junger. Maura, thank you so much for joining us. And what I want to start with are the facts. What happens to people when they don't sleep well? And frankly, you're talking to Exhibit A. Yeah. I was going to say, I think there'd be hardly anyone who's untouched from not knowing what it feels like to not sleep well. And the trouble is, you're not sleeping well acutely as opposed to not sleeping well kind of chronically. Uh, both are terrible and I can talk about what things are within those. But it's very debilitating, as you know, Janet. It becomes all-consuming as well because once you don't sleep well, whether that's acutely or all the time, your worldview is really different. It's very difficult to maintain good mood, in fact. You can feel grumpy, irritable, sad. You can even see with children, children who haven't had their sleeps. In fact, the vernacular in my household was you're a cot case. It means you need to go to your cot when you're a little kid who's crazy, sort of losing it. But as adults, we're cot cases too sometimes, but we have to sort of hold it together. So difficulty with mood regulation, difficulty with feeling more anxious, more at risk of accidents because our concentration isn't as good, our word-finding difficulty, our memory, things like that are really impaired with not sleeping well. And, of course, longer term, unfortunately, this is all the doom and gloom, but we'll get to the solutions soon. The doom and gloom is that there are more risk of chronic health conditions. There are clear links, associations with um, dementia, with cardiovascular disease, with some cancers, with type 2 diabetes, and, of course, more at risk of mental health conditions on a longer-term basis. In fact, up until about 1996, around the time I was really getting into the sleep world, we always thought, I was taught this in nursing and psychologists, psychologists were always taught any sleep disturbance was pretty much just a manifestation of a psychological condition, like, oh, they're depressed or they're anxious or there's something, that's why they're not sleeping. But around 1996, there was really good, clear research that people who didn't sleep well was their first ever episode of depression or anxiety. So from that moment onwards, we've known that there's a very clear bi-directional relationship. So when I say the word bi-directional, what I mean is that it can work both ways, that sometimes it might be the depression or anxiety that causes a sleep problem, or sometimes it might be the sleep problem that therefore impinges and and can cause a mental health condition. So if I'm having trouble sleeping and I come and see you about it, what happens in that first session? What sort of questions would you ask me? Yeah, well, the first thing I would do is have a chat to them about all sorts of things, not only the presenting current issues, but their past history too and how if we're talking about sleep, which we are now, I would say, like, tell me about you you as a, a sleeper as a child, as a teenager, as a, a woman or man in your 20s, 30s, depending on what age they're at. So getting a really good sense of their, the history of their sleep because that's really important because not everyone has been, say, an eight-hour sleeper their whole life. There's a range of people that might say 
I never really slept well. Mum's always talking about, you know, there's folklore in the family that I was always a poor sleeper. I was really hard to settle. And there's some really key things we can find out about people's circadian rhythm, for instance, particularly during those teenage years where a lot of teenagers do have a delayed sleep rhythm. That means that they go to sleep quite late, despite the best efforts of them and their parents and, and their school. They're just not really able to initiate sleep until well after midnight, which is really hard when they're getting up at, say, six. It's really interesting for, to hear whether there's someone who's had issues for a very long time or whether they've always been a pretty good sleeper and it's just come in the, in the last six months or the last year. I also want to know about everything, about their social health, like who they live with, what's going on with relationships and then their workplace as well, what's going on. Just looking for various stressors or things that stress them out potentially, and also just looking at the systems to which you belong. If we want to look at not just an individual, we really want to look at the systems that are going on around them because we could do some fabulous treatment with the client in front of me, but if they go out of the room and then into a bit of a dreadful workplace or some really difficult stuff going in the family, we have to address those things as well, like sort of the wider thing outside of just the individual. And I want to know, I guess, their physical health, their mental health history, any operations, accidents, just a whole range of stuff. We really do believe that the person in front of me, they know much more about their sleep than I will ever know. They've got a whole decades of history there and they know their strengths and they know the things they need to work on. So the solutions are strange. I mean, will I get into the solutions? I'd love you to get into the solutions. (laughs) Interestingly, one of the crazy things that people find quite paradoxical that's sort of unusual I think wow I just would never have thought that one of the key things I do is ask them what time they're getting into bed of course and what time they may be getting off to sleep and what time they're getting up so you have this history around hours in bed and and approximate hours of sleep so often the person is maybe eight hours or so in bed at least because a particularly conscientious person who believes that they've heard on the radio and they've read that they need to get eight hours or so so they're doing the right thing, but they're getting about, say, four or five or not, not many hours sleep. The first thing I would do, and this is what everyone could start trying straight away, is to actually match the time in bed with the amount of sleep you're actually getting at the moment. So if you're only getting four or five hours of sleep, don't be in bed for anywhere near eight. It's really unusual because especially people like me, you know, public health advocate, you know, talking around sleep, you're here all the time get eight hours sleep, get into bed at the same time, get up at the same, all this sort of stuff that is actually true for the general public. So that's a quite a nuanced message is that if you've already got some sleeping difficulties, that your sleep is not problematic just because you're staying up watching too much TV. And, but if you're someone who has trouble unwinding with your sleep, then you need to actually sit up a bit later and wait until you're sleepy and tired into the bed. So you don't go anywhere near your bed until you actually feel sleepy and tired. And sometimes that may be a bit later than what you're currently doing. So I think that's a fantastic first message that we all think we need eight hours sleep, but don't get into that bed until you're feeling sleepy. And I am at fault because I think I should be in bed now because I'm anxious about how much sleep I'm going to get. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I tell people, say, don't look at the clock. We're going to make sure you're much more educated about your internal clock. So the body clock is the one we want, the one that's going to tell you when you're sleepy and tired. 
because you're probably very tired. What happens is we're all tired, often tired all the time. <laughs> we're not, <laughs> but we remain wired. So what I see with most people is that they're a sleep-deprived person, but they're not sleepy. They're tired and wired and therefore unable to sleep because they still remain wired. And then you have this extra overlay or underlay of being anxious about not sleeping. So can I ask you a question about the person who wakes up, for instance, at three o'clock in the morning? So they've been asleep for four hours, but they wake up at three o'clock in the morning. So waking at three in the morning, one of the first things to do with someone I might be talking to is to take away any clock. So whether that's a phone, iPad, any kind of device, especially a watch that shows any kind of time. From then on, we say to people, I don't want you to notice what time you wake. I want you to realise it's normal to wake, to not even give it too much credence. Don't confirm with the time what's going on and just roll over and go back to sleep. And if it feels like 20 or 30 minutes and you haven't gone back to sleep, and particularly if you're quite alert and quite frustrated, then unfortunately you have to get up. And so make sure that you've got a warm place to go. If you're in a shared house and there's nowhere else to go, for instance, at least you could perhaps sit on top of the covers with a different doona and then you're, at least you're not in your bed. Like you, you're thinking that you're out of bed. We don't want to match wakefulness with being in bed under the covers. The other really important thing I'd love to say about that, Janet, is that that whole being asleep for four hours and then perhaps it could be anything that wakes you up. To actually educate people in that first session to tell them the first few hours or half of the night is deep sleep where we sort of, you, you mightn't hear someone coming to bed, you mightn't hear the fire alarms in the street, the fire engines, for instance. But the latter part of the night, like from three or so in the morning, three to six or seven, it's full of just light sleep. You never get deep sleep ever again. You actually have just stage one, bit of wake, lots and lots of REM sleep. And the REM sleep is good quality, but it's very, 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 very light sleep. Our dreaming sleep, the rapid eye movement, what we call REM, REM, 80% of our dreaming occurs in that phase. And so it's a very light phase that you will actually not even know sometimes whether you're awake or asleep. It's very common that people who come in for a sleep study, for instance, they'll put on their form, oh, yeah, I didn't sleep at all. Or, you know, I've only had about four hours and they get maybe seven. That latter half, you feel like you're awake. So a very important message would be, to just enjoy, just resting, don't, don't worry too much about it, enjoy the rest. You're probably in stage one sleep. You're probably in REM, but you think that you're awake, particularly if you're really stressing about something, like you've got a lot of work, you're anticipating the next day or what happened yesterday. So mindfulness-based principles will really come into their own here in this three in the morning where you stay present with just what's going on here and now. So, Moira, when you talk about mindfulness, can you actually explain what mindfulness is? Because we hear about it the whole time. Yeah, exactly. It's a type of meditation, but it's more than meditation. It's actually a, a technique within psychology, within medicine, within social work. And what it is, it's teaching people to stay in the present moment without judgment on purpose. So being able to cultivate some practice throughout your day and annual night, when you train your brain to just be able to stay in the here and now without that commentary about the judgment, I'm not going to have time to do that tomorrow, or, I'm going to be too tired tomorrow. Or, if only I hadn't said so-and-so. The problems that people have, especially in the wee hours, is often around 
But it's either the rumination going over and over things or this anticipatory arousal of things coming up that may or may not even happen, this worry space. So I talk to people about, I say there might be, you know, big brown bears in that rumination space and crocodiles in the anticipation space. So please keep yourself safe and just stay in just here. (laughs) Keep out of the wildlife department. (laughs) Keep out of the wildlife and just stay present with what's actually happening right now. Maura, we hear the term sleep hygiene a lot. Seems like a fairly boring term to me, but I'm not the expert and I'm going to hand over to you about what sleep hygiene is and what does it mean? Well, thank you, Jenna. I'm glad I share your um, disdain for the term. No, not yours, disdain mine. I don't like the term sleep hygiene. It doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean anything to do with hygiene particularly, like cleanliness. It's just a series of tips. So things like watching your caffeine levels, watching your alcohol intake, keeping stress down, a whole range of things around that. Usually if you Google the term sleep hygiene, there's probably about five to ten core things that are usually on anyone's list. And they're good. They're good for the general population to, to understand these are the things that help promote better sleep, that's for sure. My problem and people, my other sort of psychology or sleep sleep specialists, we get concerned that sleep hygiene gets sort of peddled out or it's all over the internet, for instance. And those things in and of themselves, there's no evidence that they do anything for someone who's already got a sleep problem. So if you've got a sleep-specific anxiety, for instance, or you've got a whole lot of issues with your circadian system, it doesn't address any of that. And so unfortunately, even within our professional fields, like the psychologists and GPs and pharmacists, and there's not a lot of education necessarily within our postgrad and undergrad studies. because It's really a relatively new field. If you're my age, you didn't get any sleep education. You didn't really know much about it. So unfortunately, people, they latch on to sleep hygiene. And this is not a criticism at all. And I'm actively involved with our associations to try and educate more of health professionals to don't go down the path of sleep hygiene. <laughs> like, you know, you hear it in my voice. I'm frustrated with sleep hygiene, particularly if you go to a health professional and you talk about your sleep. Let's say, Janet, if you had consulted someone specifically about your sleep and you got a list of things, like including sleep hygiene things, and you did them, and it still didn't do anything. It's almost colluding with this whole being too rigid and being too focused and being too fragile with your sleep and too precious almost. So you need to actually learn to don't have things too rigid and strict and I must have my chamomile tea at 10pm and I must always get into bed at the same time. That stuff just doesn't work once you've developed some unhelpful beliefs or unhelpful patterns long-term with your sleep. Maura, I found this incredibly interesting for a variety of reasons. Because some of the things that I thought were true are not, and you've given all of us some very practical tips of how to improve our sleep. Thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. That was my eye-opening interview with sleep specialist Maura Junger. Jean Hales will be posting more information on sleep in the coming months, and I'm so glad about that. So please make sure you follow us for details. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Gene Hales podcast, Women's Health Week series. You can find out more about Moira by visiting moirajunga.com.au. For free expert health information for all women, girls and gender diverse people, visit genehales.org.au.